This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hour number two of Seattle Sports at Night is here. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jake Heaps, with you. Stacey Ross, she'll be back with us next week. She's she's still on vacation. We're all just kind of here and there when it comes to flights and stuff. You were out of town this last weekend. That's right. I was uh, I was in Dallas. Out the, I was at the Cowboy Stadium for uh, the Nike opening regional, which is fun. It's always fun to be a part of that for the Elite 11 Tour. It's like uh, American Idol for high Ooh. school quarterbacks and, and you know, Skill players and offensive linemen uh, all come together for the uh, the Nike Elite Eleven and the opening uh, to find out who is dubbed the best of the best. So are you then? Are you the Paula Abdul, the Randy Jackson, or the Simon Cowell <laughs> of, of this? I would say maybe maybe a little bit of uh, Paula and Simon. You know, okay. you have to be critical, yeah. but you know they're there. You got we want to give them a great experience and a great time, and and one that they can walk away from. And say that it was a it was an amazing experience that they'll never forget. Now you were out of town this weekend here. We actually we had some sunny days this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Yes, it was uh, it was sunny. But when that happens in this time of year, you see some people get a little overzealous about it, and they throw on the shorts, even though it's still like forty <laughs> degrees outside. Yes, I saw that from a couple of people this weekend. I didn't want to call them out, but like you need you know, to call them out. Yeah, like. It's still really cold outside. Like I, I brought my big, or I brought my my work coat uh, in today, which has some really nice insulation to it. Yeah, because uh, it's still freezing cold outside. Absolutely, like I just, and you, and you, you got to scrape ice. Every- yeah, you can't tell me that those people didn't walk out the door and immediately regret that decision. Exactly. Like I get that we don't get a whole lot of sunny days in this area, especially this time of year. But be responsible out there. Wear <laughs> pants, wear sweats, wear something. I care about you guys. Yeah. I don't want you getting hypothermia. That's right. Don't let the sun deceive you. Check your weather apps. Yes. Check the temperature outside. I mean, come on, people. Yeah. I mean, I, that just that just needed to be said. It was a public service announcement from us here at Seattle Sports Tonight to you. Uh, but another public service announcement we've been doing over the last week is our Combine Preview Series, which you can check out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Click on Seattle Sports Tonight. It's there for you. Uh, you can also download it anywhere you get your podcasts, on iTunes or at the Google Play Store. Uh, but we're going to do sort of a twist on what we've done to start off every second hour of Seattle Sports Tonight. We, we previewed the Combine last week. Well, it's over. It's in the rearview mirror, so why not we review it? So, Jake, of all that went down in Indianapolis this week, which prospects popped out to you this weekend? I look at this, and this is a combine. I don't know if there's been a combine like this in particular in a long time in in just the fact that the top guys that came into this really, for the most part, showed out that they established their and solidified their spot amongst the elite. Uh, you look at the quarterbacks, and really the top four quarterbacks that everybody had coming into this was Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, and Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray kind of being that late addition to the conversation because no one knew what was going to happen with baseball and and uh, his, his stature, all of that. Not only does he answer those questions, but he hits 5'10", uh, and his hand size is nine and a half, and all of a sudden everybody just 
is pegging this guy as the number one draft pick overall, uh, which is fascinating. Yeah, a lot um, of collective freakout over that. We'll get into more of that, uh, where Kyler Murray sits on a lot of draft boards coming up at 830 and mm-hmm. big if true. Yes, uh, but if there's anybody that in the quarterback group that really rose their stock and maybe dropped just a little bit, Dwayne Haskins is still going to be a top-five pick. I, fir- I firmly believe that. But the fact that he didn't go in there and run below a five, he, he ran a 5.03, I think it was. That's a slow time. Uh, and, and no one expected Dwayne Haskins to be a burner. Maybe Stephen A. Smith uh, did. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, he was, gonna, it, he was projected to be somewhere around high 4.8, low 4.9, and, and the five is just not a good time to hit. Uh, Drew Locke from Missouri really established himself as a lock, as a top 10 pick. Um, he uh, threw well. He tested well. He ran a 4.6, uh, which was a little surprising. Great athleticism. Uh, so I think he really uh, 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 rose to the top on that one. Now, Drew Locke kind of comes from, I guess, he gets compared to Blaine Gabbard because physically they, they look the part. Mm-hmm. They, they're both Missouri guys. But what do you see from Drew Locke that, I guess, would put scouts more at ease rather than yeah, the, what Blaine Gabbert was The like one thing the that league. stands out to me that I've heard about Drew Locke is that he's got some edge to him, that he's got a lot of toughness to him, uh, great leadership qualities, and that he is a ultra, ultra competitor. Uh, Blaine Gabbert was one of those guys that looked the part, still does. I mean, he looks the part uh, from a physicality standpoint. He has a strong arm. Uh, and, and he's a smart guy, but once he gets hit in the mouth, he kind of crumbles. And that's been the story from him on the from the get-go. And Drew Locke is, ha, does not have that same uh, type of mentality. Uh, and, and so then after that, you look at you know quarterback standpoint, then after that there was just unbelievable testing numbers. It was just a freak show of guys you know coming out there. I mean, you look at the receivers – DK Metcalf continues to be at the top of the conversation, uh, being two over two thirty, one percent body fat, and running a four three is just incredible, uh, lighting the world on fire. Uh, and, and his counterpart at Ole Miss, uh, AJ Brown, those two, the the legend just continues. He ran a four four nine, which actually was a surprise to people. People thought that he was maybe going to be in the higher four fives, maybe a four six, and he came out and ran a great time. Uh, and and the other guy that I think did well for himself was Nikhil Harry, who ran a four five three, which was not. Uh, everybody thought that he was going to be slower, maybe on the four seven side. Uh, so that part of it for the receivers was interesting. Uh, Nikhil Harry uh, didn't display great athleticism through the skill drills, uh, which is something that I think he'll really focus on now that he's gotten done through the combine. I think he'll come out ease people's concerns on their on pro day. Um, and if there's one flaw to DK Metcalf, there's one flaw. His kryptonite seems to be his lateral quickness because his three cone and his short shuttle were not uh, great. I believe he was in like the like fifth worst in both of those. Drills. Yeah, yeah, and that that is surprising for someone who sh- has shown through his vertical leap and his forty the explosiveness. So I, I know people are going to scouting evaluators are going to watch the tape and just look out for that. But again, <laughs> this doesn't necessarily mean that just because you crush the underwear Olympics means that you're a great football player. That time and time again, this has shown that this is only one piece of the process, uh, and you cannot evaluate the whole player 
just based off of this one or a couple days. When scouts are evaluating these prospects, what do they value more? What they saw in Indianapolis or the game film that they are able to get on these guys from their time in college? Because DK Metcalf is probably at the forefront of everybody's mind this weekend just because of the kind of physical freak that he is. 230, you mentioned, what is a 4340, 1.6% body fat. But you look at his career at Ole Miss, and his name never was mentioned among the best receivers in college football. Mm-hmm. He was never up for like a Bolitnikoff Award. He was never, you know, one of those most feared guys in the SEC. And then all of a sudden, he pops up on the scene posting Instagram pics looking like a video game character and then putting up drill numbers reminiscent of that. Yeah. When scouts are looking at these guys, mm-hmm. what do they factor in more? Is it what they've seen with their own eyes, or is it what they've seen on tape of these guys in the past? It all comes together. Honestly, it's a culmination of things. And scouts will always say, well, it's the game tape. But you, there are plenty of examples of people falling in love with what they see in person and the testing numbers. And DK Metcalf could be one of those guys uh, when it's all said and done. But... Uh, so to answer your question, it's very easy to fall in love with someone based off of what you've seen in person, and that's a huge part of the evaluation. The other part of it is when you look at them physically, you're looking to see are there strengths or weaknesses that I didn't notice on tape. And then once you see those, you go back and watch the tape and see if you can confirm those uh, and, and maybe see something that you didn't notice before. So that's kind of how those two kind of coincide together. It's kind of like, now, this may be an odd comparison, it's kind of like, well, you've you've been out of the dating game for a while, Mm -hmm. but when you were in the dating game, what you saw in front of you may not have matched what was on the social media, Ah, which is is like the game film that comes with everybody's, (laughs) I guess, dating profile, where like you meet them in person, it's like, oh, this is a great person. You you friend them on Facebook, you're seeing what they're posting, it's like, ooh. That's right. I, no, I'm good. See ya. It's also like the first date. The first date, you know, that's kind of like the the pro day or the combine. The first date went well. It was perfect. Man, I think I know what I'm getting in this person. That's the interview process. That's the interview process. Now you actually commit and you lock in ah, and you get the bust. That's a bad feeling. Yeah, not good. Not, not good. good. Uh, 206 co- chiming in on the Coors Light text line saying, was DK Matt Metcalf the one they kept calling the human Batman suit? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yes. this guy is cut from marble uh, from head to toe. Uh, just a, an impressive combine he put together, save for the, the lateral movement drills. Uh, but that is our combine review. You can check out our preview series uh, on 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page. Coming up next, Antonio Brown. He may be taking his trade value, but is he wrong in anything that he said so far about the Steelers? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jake Heaps, right here, 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Text coming in on the Coors Light text line from the 206 saying, hey, at least you guys aren't like myself in the dating game. I see that abandoned box of red flags on the side of the road and I take it home anyways. 
darn well knowing what's in the box. Just hey. like whoever's going to sign Antonio Brown during this offseason. There's, there's a lot wrong with that text message. Yeah, man. Like, you're better than that, 206. You definitely are better than that. We and got faith. also on the side of the road? Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's getting a little dicey. Yeah, that's that's the first red flag right that's there. Right. Like, maybe, maybe find somewhere else to, to dip your toes into the dating game, uh, the dating pool, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. It's it's already off the rails here. Seattle Sports at night with you for the next 45 minutes here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and Jake Eaps with you. Frank Clark tweeting out just moments ago uh, saying, looking forward to what the future holds, very blessed and thankful. Jake, you being an athlete, you playing professionally, you playing collegiately, I got I got to say something about athletes and Twitter. Okay. What you got? You people, I'll just <laughs> I'll start off. You with people. It. Yeah. Athletes love themselves some vague tweets and vague Instagram posts. They they don't like to be direct in anything. They just like to let us They're think big, of what we want. Big fans of subtweeting. Oh, absolutely. Big fans of subtweeting. Whether it's, you know, leaving everybody to their own devices because people really freak out over this stuff, yeah. right? They they try and figure it out. Uh, and so sometimes it's best for athletes to put out a message and everybody knows what they're talking about, but yeah. not quite say it because then you have plausible deniability. Like, oh, what are you guys talking about? I didn't mean, yeah. I, I didn't mean any of that. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, I, I see it around all the time. Also throwing shade at other people in the subtweeting game. I don't know what it is about athletes, but they got to, I mean, be more direct. Yeah. I mean, we're all adults here. That's we can right. handle it. We can handle the truth. <laughs> well, I don't think people can handle the truth with this Antonio Brown situation. No, and what's weird about this, uh, today he did an interview with ESPN. He also appeared on LeBron James's show, The Shop, on HBO over the weekend. And what Antonio Brown has said this whole ordeal, so many people just roll their eyes. They're tired of hearing from him. But... Is what he's saying wrong? Is what he's saying about the Steelers organization and the power structure that's in place in Pittsburgh, is what he's saying about any of that wrong? Well, here is what Antonio Brown said over the weekend about Ben Roethlisberger and their relationship and how he simply just he wants to be cool with Ben. I thought we was cool, but when I think, I don't, when I've been in his house one time, he'd been in my house one time, you know what I mean? We don't work out in the offseason. It's like, yo, if we really want to win, you think that's winning? That's not winning. That's not a winning culture. You know what I mean? If I'm going to do something in the team, we got to be on the same page. We got to, you know what I'm saying? We got to understand each other. We got to know what we set out to do. I don't even have to play football if I don't want, bro. I don't even need the game. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to prove nothing to anyone. If, I, if they want to play, they're going to play by my rules. If not, I don't need to play. You want the game now? No, I don't. I, I, I mean, okay? I, obviously, I want the game, but I don't need the game. It's a different. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to play for no one. Like, I'm happy you see this. It's paid off cash. I don't owe no one. Mm-hmm. I'm a millionaire, bro. I'm an entrepreneur. Like, I don't have to prove no one anything. I don't take anybody. I just think I took responsibility for my situation. You know, I didn't point a finger. I didn't make no one look bad. I didn't throw no stones at anyone. So you hear that, and he mentions how he's only been over to Ben Roethlisberger's house one time. They played together for, what, a decade? Right. That speaks to me and says, like, yeah, we just kind of coexisted. We never, ever were on the same page. And this is a guy who has everything 
he, Antonio Brown's speaking from a position where his back's against the wall. And yeah. when your back is against the wall, you are at your most liable to say anything. But also in those times, that's when the truth, I think, reveals itself more so than any other time, when your back is against the wall, because in that situation, you don't have much to lose. In Antonio Brown's case, you hear it from him, and he says, you know what, I don't need football. Like, I'm I'm playing this because, you know, I like it and the money's great, but I don't need this. His back is against the wall right now, and the Steelers are in a position where they're trying to maximize value for Antonio Brown, but why should he care about what his value is? Here's Brown talking about the situation. Uh, this is from LeBron's show, The Shop, uh, talking about Week 17, the game he missed when the Steelers uh, did not clinch a playoff appearance. Last week of the season, we going into the final game. We got to win, and we got to hope the Ravens don't win so we can advance to the playoffs. I'm a little banged up, so I meet with Coach Tomlin. I'm telling him, like, hey, man, I'm a little banged up, so I'm going to need a little time to get right. So he's like, you banged up, man? Just, you know, you, you can just go home. Leave practice. Yeah, like, you ain't even got to be here. So I'm like, damn, that's damn. where we at? Damn, how we get that? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you yeah, just hit I can't it. Like, no treat, so it was like, you know what I mean? So you think it's like, I'm going to war for these guys, putting my life on the line. You hear that from Antonio Brown. And I don't he, – he, he has a little bit of a reason to bend the truth from what happened because he wants to make it look like – No doubt. I, I didn't skip out on my teammates. It was the Steelers that were the ones who said, we don't need you for this game if you're not going to man up and if you're not going to play while injured in a win-or-go-home situation, uh, then we don't need you here. Right. But when you hear Antonio Brown say something like that and also talk about how the Steelers' power structure is built, how Ben Roethlisberger is probably not the best teammate in the world, mm-hmm. you being a quarterback, yeah, how important was it for you to be on the same page as your receivers? That's everything. It's everything to be on the same page with your receivers, your teammates, your O-line, uh, your defense, your coaches. The organization. It's vital that everybody is on the same page and everybody feels a part of it. There, there's two sides of this for Antonio Brown for me. One, I disagree with how he is going about it, how he's talking about this. And when it comes to playing in that particular football game, I think that he's spinning this situation to fit his narrative. I totally disagree with how he handled that game in, in the Ravens situation. Uh, I felt like at that point he thought that he wasn't getting treated right the way that he was supposed to, and he backed out and walked away from his team when he needed him when they needed him the most. And there is a lot of context to that um, to prove that to prove that theory. But I do believe that the Steelers organization, the way Mike Tomlin runs that organization, the way uh, Ben Roethlisberger is put up on a pedestal, uh, I believe that that situation is broken. And I think when you have a guy like Antonio Brown who is edgy, who is on the edge with the way he goes about his business, and you give guys like that a tremendous amount of leeway, they are they are set up for failure. Because you give a guy like that decisions, business decisions to make, uh, and give him you know the ability to make his own decisions, his own devices, leave him to his own devices, he's probably not going to do what you want him to do. 
Um, and but when it comes to Ben Roethlisberger and how he handled the locker room, how he treated his teammates, how he treated Antonio Brown, I think there's a lot of validity to that conversation. And I, I believe that you 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 hurt you hear it almost every other week about Ben. Ro- oh, this is what Ben Roethlisberger said about his teammate on his radio show or after the game, calling guys out left and right. And at what point is it? Not okay. Oh, he's an elite quarterback. He's all right. He he's been there for a while. He has the ability to say those things. You don't hear Tom Brady talking like that. You never heard Peyton Manning talking talking like that. You don't hear Russell Wilson talking like that. In that position of leadership, you have to one take the blame for your teammates, and two let make sure that they know that you've got their back and that you're not above the system. You're not above the law. The one time we did hear Peyton Manning talk like that was talking about their kicker, Mike Vanderjag. We're talking about our idiot kicker who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. So what has the sports world come to? We're talking about idiot kickers. He has ruined kickers for life. That, that's one of, <laughs> one of the, the great sound bites. That's uh, awesome. Talking about you, Mike Vanderjag. You know that you have to do a lot to get Peyton Manning that riled up. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it was Vanderjag who blamed, I think it was Peyton Manning, on the Colts' loss to the Steelers in the postseason that year uh, when it was like, dude, you missed a field goal as well. Like, it By wasn't, a mile. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't all on, on Peyton Manning's shoulders. Like, You had an opportunity uh, to win it too. Um, but getting back to Antonio Brown, a lot of people look at this situation and say, Oh, Antonio Brown, what are you doing, man? You're tanking your trade value. You're not going to get a team that wants you. I wonder, though, why should Antonio Brown care what his trade value is to the Steelers? Why should he care what they get in return for him? He doesn't care. In fact, if he really wants to stick it to the Steelers organization, he makes it so that the best they can do in return is like a fifth-round pick. Yeah. That's that's. I think what he wants to do here, because he's going at it from a situation like, you didn't have my back, why should I have yours? Yeah, I, the only thing that he runs a risk of, though, Curtis, is if he makes it so hard to trade for him and they get little trade value, do the Steelers, do the Steelers have it in them to say, you know what, heck with you, we're not going to trade you, give you what you want, we're going to hold you hostage to this situation, and you're talking about, oh, I don't need football, we're going to call your bluff. Yeah. We're going to call your bluff let's, and see, let's if, see if you're really if you really going to walk away from football. I think that's the only position of power that the Steelers have in this situation. But I, I, I'm with you, Curtis. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what the Steelers are able to get back for him. He just wants to get traded. My only caution to him is that scenario right there is if he tanks his value that much, then the Steelers might may look at this and say, you know what, we're not going to trade a player like this for little value. That That's absolutely silly of us to do. Well, I mean, I I hope that this gets resolved. I, I hope it stretches into the regular season because I am more than all right seeing the Steelers finally have their time in the light because <laughs> you look at the stability within that organization. They've had three head coaches since 1969. The fa- the Rooney family, they've been running things there. Uh, you know, it's been you know, just a just a calm air about that organization for 50 some odd years. Now they're finally getting, you know, the drama that that you find in in organizations like Washington 
or organizations like Cleveland uh, or uh, Oakland, places yeah. like that where they don't have this kind of stability and they have you know bloated personalities that that take away from I, I guess the ultimate goal at stake. And I don't think this is entirely Antonio Brown's fault. I think Ben Roethlisberger and their decision to cater towards him and to make every decision in the franchise ran through Ben Roethlisberger. It, it's hard for, I think, Big Ben to realize that, oh, yeah, I'm one of 53. I'm not one and 52. I'm and they, one of and, and they have encouraged that. They have empowered him so much through the decisions that he's made, the reactions that they've had to that, and also Ben in his attitude, the way he's gone about things, like we talked about before, calling out guys and not really holding Ben accountable for that. It's it's going to be fascinating watching this next year and seeing how much of Mike Tomlin can they put up with. Can Mike Tomlin turn this thing around? And if he can't, uh, is he on the hot seat? Because to me, uh, his seat is red hot. And if he can't if he can't recapture the culture of this locker room and get people to buy in, then it's time to move on. Think about this: you had one of the best big threes. In NFL history, with Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown, yes, they're letting Bell walk without compensation. They could, they could, maybe end up letting Antonio Brown walk without compensation. You let that big three break up when they are in their prime. Like, how do you rectify that? How do you? Because that that is it's tough. That is a an embarrassment of offensive talent, an embarrassment of riches in terms of offensive talent, and you are unable to convert that even into a Super Bowl appearance. The amazing thing about this, though, Curtis, is that you talk about that, and you're absolutely right. But they also have struck gold with Juju that's true. Smith-Schuster. Who, they have struck gold with James Conner. That's true, so right? they're, they're able to just churn it out. So it's it's like they haven't skipped a beat. That's a... a that's an incredible point. That's that the crazy thing. About. That's the crazy thing about it. Le'Veon Bell. This was supposed to be the biggest story ever, and the Steelers were in such hard pressed decision to not give or give in to Le'Veon Bell, and that's the way he thought of it. But lo and behold, James Conner comes out and balls out this year and makes Le'Veon Bell an afterthought to where the guys say, "Look, don't come back. We don't want you they in were this locker looting room." Looting his locker when he yes, exactly. said he was going to be out for the. Right, so this is a situation, again, it's about recapturing the culture. Uh, we've seen this before with the Seahawks. Uh, again, it wasn't nearly in this fashion, but you had a change of, of dynamic, power dynamic of the locker room with the, the superstar players that you have, and can you do that and recapture your culture and, and set yourself in a position to go and chase championships? That'll be the biggest answer that the Steelers have to have to. Uh, uh, make in this upcoming season when we get back here on seattle sports tonight it's time for big if true one very notable draft expert in fact maybe the most known draft expert says he would mock kyler murray number one overall do we agree we'll tell you next curtis rogers and jake Eves, seattle sports tonight on 710 espn seattle you're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Shout out to you for joining us here on this Monday night. Curtis Rogers and Jake Heaps with you. Seattle Sports at Night with you for the next half hour or so. About 25 minutes left on this game clock. 
Let's finish strong, Curtis. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, the combine is come and gone, and Kyler Murray still very much the talk of the NFL world. Where is he going to go in the draft? What will the Cardinals do at number one overall? He didn't even work out at the combine. Just went through the interview process and got his measurables taken care of. But that apparently was enough for one draft expert to say, this is the guy. This is who is number one overall on my draft board. So that brings us to tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did Did he he say say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Tonight's Big If True comes to us from... I mean, he's the draft guru, isn't he? Mel Kuyper Jr. The one and only. You want to hear your name come out of his mouth if you're a draft prospect around this time of year. Well, Mel Kuyper Jr. this weekend on ESPN Radio said that he would put Kyler Murray number one overall. He did what he needed to do. He showed he's over 5'10". He showed he, he has a bigger hand than Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff. He, he interviewed, he showed his football IQ, he went through the medical, now he gets ready for his pro day where he will throw. I think from a, from a mock draft standpoint, you got to think about it. If I were mocking it right now, I'd probably put him number one. Cliff Kingsbury was brought in to run his system that doesn't really allow for max protection. And you got to have a quarterback that can move. Josh Rosen's a pocket guy. So you, when you hear Mel Kuyper say his reasoning for putting Kyler Murray at number one overall. Yes. Do you agree with what he's saying, or is it something that you would be much more hesitant about? This involves a bigger conversation that you and I got into in the sports pit before we got in here that I think is fascinating for the for the listeners to really consider. With Mel Kuyper Jr. talking about that, he is saying Cliff Kingsbury's system that he has brought in from college does not allow for much max protection that he is going to be in more five-man protection, six-man protection situations. Six-man protection in the NFL is probably the most common uh, protection. Then you get into your seven-man protection uh, for your deep pass game, your play-action pass game, and so forth. Uh, But in Cliff Kingsbury's system, a lot of it was five-man protection. So there is greater opportunity as you spread this as you spread the field out also to be in hot situations having to create uh, as a quarterback and so as we've discussed and Curtis I want you to throw this out here is is Cliff Kingsbury what is he going to do what is he going to bring to the NFL is it going to be the exact same Cliff Kingsbury from Texas Tech that is going to spread it out, air raid concepts only, and and throw the the ball around the yard? Or is he going to evolve and he's going to conform to the NFL game? What is he going to do from that standpoint? To me, that affects, that philosophy affects whether Josh Rosen can fit in your scheme or he cannot. We've seen it over the last couple of years where guys come in with the – as the the next offensive guru. Two years ago was Sean McVay. Last year, Matt Nagy. Those guys inherited quarterback situations that they had no say in. Right. Sean McVay did not draft Jared Goff. Matt Nagy did not draft Mitchell Trubisky. Nope. Jared Goff was a disaster his rookie season. He was inactive for a good chunk of the season, and then when he played, 
he was very ineffective in what he did with the Rams. Immediately labeled a bust. Exactly. After year one, and then you saw what Carson Wentz did in Philadelphia, his rookie season, it was like, oh, well, the Rams clearly picked the wrong guy. Last two years, Goff has turned it on and has been one of the better quarterbacks in the NFC, made it to the Pro Bowl, took his team to the Super Bowl this last year. Mitchell Trubisky, another guy, his rookie season, very up and down. You didn't quite know what you had with him. This year, he took the Bears to the playoffs, won 12 games. Matt Nagy is... What, the NFL Coach of the Year, I think yes. it was, this yep. last year. Yep. Um, those guys made it work with quarterbacks who they didn't bring in themselves. They made it work with what was there for him. If Cliff Kingsbury is such a quarterback guru, shouldn't his system work with anybody? In theory, yes. But you also look at those two other guys that you just mentioned, Mitchell Trubisky, Jared Goff, those guys fit a pro-style system. Mitchell Trubisky having the ability to extend with his legs, but Matt Nagy and and you have um, you have uh, Sean McVay. Their systems are pro style systems. They may throw the ball a lot, but they are from pro style systems established by the run game. That's where Cliff Kingsbury in this conversation gets interesting. Is if Cliff Kingsbury is a QB guru. You you should and if you're if Josh Rosen's your quarterback, then you're conforming and changing your system from a spread air raid concept based system to now more of a pro style, more condensed formation type of system. And is that the best version of Cliff Kingsbury? That's the question that you have to ask. It's not that he hasn't had any experience. He's played in the National Football League for for a couple years. He sat behind uh, Tom Brady and and was there with Bill Belichick in New England. He had that experience. So that's where this is a toss-up. And you don't know what Cliff Kingsbury is going to do with his offense. That's the most intriguing thing to me. Does he stay true to his roots and what he wants to do and what he's been best at? I think so. I think he leans more towards that and tries to prove that the air raid can, belongs in the NFL more so than he does try and line up in 11 personnel like Sean McVay does and try to establish the run game with Todd Gurley or go into two tight end formations uh, or a tight end and, and two running backs. I, I think he's going to want to spread the ball out. And if that is the case, then Mel Kuyper Jr. has a valid point in this that, that Kyler Murray is the better quarterback for this system because he can create, because he can extend and make explosive plays. Josh Rosen isn't a dead door. He isn't a guy that just is absolutely staying there. He reminds me of Tom Brady. No, he's not mobile, but he can manipulate the pocket and and be and do well in that area. So, uh, again, just this conversation is going to evolve. It's going to be cat and mouse. It's going to be coy. Uh, but uh, depending on which version of Cliff Kingsbury is going to be seen in the National Football League, to me, determines whether it's Josh Rosen or Kyler Murray under center. I think the history of coaches who go from the college game to the pro game. I mean, obviously, you're going from you're going with coaches that have had a lot more success at the college level in terms of wins and losses than Cliff Kingsbury had at at uh, Texas Tech. Um, Steve Spurrier, he had a couple of weeks of success with Washington right away. Chip Kelly, another guy when he was in Philadelphia, had a lot of success his first season. I mean, Nick Foles played some of his best football. Uh, of his career under Chip Kelly, but then those guys weren't able to adapt to the the NFL as it adapted to them 
I think it remains to be seen if Cliff Kingsbury can do that. We, I mean, he hasn't even had the initial success yet. He's, he hasn't coached a game in the NFL at all. Uh, Cardinals GM Steve Kime, he joined Colin Cowherd a couple days ago and was asked if they foresee trading Josh Rosen. I can't foresee that right now. Uh, again, we, we know that this is a process we have to go through. And again, I think that um, what Josh showed us last year on and off the field uh, makes me extremely comfortable that he's our quarterback moving forward. It's interesting just how many people in Arizona right now are kind of on the hot seat. Steve Kime very much is, considering how the bottom fell out. He fired his head coach after one season following the amount of success that they had under Bruce Arians. Did he make the right call in drafting Josh Rosen a year ago? How are they going to get David Johnson back on track after he had a terrible season this year? Mm-hmm. Hiring Cliff Kingsbury, that is a big swing. That's a bold move. If he doesn't connect on that, I don't see Steve Kime lasting beyond the no, 2019 he, he, season. He will be gone, and that's where... Look, you're already making bold moves. You're making bold decisions. And the moment you hired Cliff Kingsbury, you have to be all in on this guy. And if Cliff is telling you that I want Kyler Murray, then guess what? You better make it happen and make it that Josh Rosen, you get tremendous value out of that pick. And he, to me, he was drafted 10th last year. He is still a tenth round. He's still a tenth pick value to me. He didn't drop down to a second rounder or a third round value. He is still very much that first round franchise quarterback and has that ability uh, in a league that is clamoring to find their next franchise quarterback. And not to mention Josh Rosen, his his hit to the cap is not going to be very much. So in terms of for teams looking at Josh Rosen, this is extremely. Extremely exciting and intriguing if I'm another team in, in need of a quarterback. Um, I'm definitely looking in and calling the Arizona Cardinals and seeing what they're asking for, what their asking price is. And as Steve Kime's saying, well, no, we're not going to, but we have to go through this process. He, They are going to build up Josh Rosen to continue to make everyone feel that his stock is as high as possible while still trying to consider all the options. Uh, th- this is going to be a, a conversation that is ongoing and again, I cannot wait to see what happens in the draft. Do they stay with Rosen? Do they go with Kyler Murray? Who knows? It's going to be absolutely nuts. I believe April 25th is the draft. Uh, what the Cardinals do in that first overall slot is going to have not just a ripple effect in the NFC West. It's going to have a ripple effect throughout the NFL. Yes. Whether they stick with Nick Bosa. But if they if they trade that pick, if they trade Josh Rosen to get more picks and then take a quarterback in that slot, man, it just feels like the future of the NFL, or at least a good portion of the future of the NFL, is riding in a big way on what's going to go down in this year's draft. Coming up next, we take your text questions. Ask us anything. Literally anything. What do you want to know from us? There's no guarantee we're going to answer it, but ask us anything. We'll have an answer for you. Curtis Rogers and Jake Heap, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports at Night. With you for just a couple more moments here on this Monday. Shout out to you for joining us. 
You can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app. It's driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback Jake Heaps here with you. Answering your questions, ask us anything on the Coors Light text line. It's there for you. 710-710. Jake, first question comes to us from the 206. If you, Let's see here. It says, if your mom was running for president, what would her campaign slogan be? Ah, man. There is a lot of different things that I could go with. I think the one that stands out to me right now is probably make someone's day today. Oh, there you go. She always talked to That's me about, one. hey, you know, a smile can go a long way. Uh, uh, saying hi to someone that you don't normally say hi to. You never know what someone's going through and, and you know, just living in your own world with your own friends, your own, you know, group of people. Uh, reach out, branch out, and make someone's day today. I think that would be the one that comes to mind. There we go. Uh, my mom would say, "We don't talk that way." That is, uh, <laughs> that is her. That would be her campaign slogan. Uh, she will still say that to this day. And I'm the youngest of three kids, <laughs> and I'm 27. And so it's like, yeah, we we get it. So to make make you feel more at home, that's that's what I should say to you. Yeah, we, we don't talk this if, way. When, when you're out of line, Curtis, yeah. we don't we don't talk this way. You're better than that. Yeah, it's like, well, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> that would be her campaign slogan for sure. Uh, text from the two five three. What are your social security numbers and mother's maiden names? Well, that seems a little invasive. Yeah, you think I'm gonna fall for that yeah, one? Yeah, come on now. It's not. We're not doing that. Uh, from the 360, talking Mariners here, if you guys had to make a bet on the over-under that Vegas has set for the Mariners' win total at 74.5, would you go either over or under asking for a friend? That's the 360. Me? I'm going to take the under because I think that maybe they might start out strong at the beginning, but all those people that they're going to have, the the older veterans that they have that, that could possibly have trade value, those people will be gone if they're playing well at all. So they're going to get very youthful in the second half. But you being our our uh, Mariners and also Major League Insider, what do you think? I would I, – I'm going to go over. Okay. I'm going over. I get a good feeling from this team that they'll be at the 76 win total area. That's what I'm going to go with. 76 and 86, which is not much to write home about. But like you said, if they find that they, these players that have trade value right now, uh, they're performing well around the trade deadline, they're going to be dealt away, obviously. Because, uh, I mean, why would you keep them here if they have no value to you beyond the season? You want to get at least something out of them. Right. Guys like Edwin Encarnacion, Jay Bruce uh, come to mind. Anthony Swarzak. Yeah, Anthony Swarzak, the relief pitcher. If those guys have anything in the tank come July 31st, uh, expect them to be on other teams. But I think the Mariners, I specifically think this because of the starting rotation. I think it's it's slept on a little bit. I think Marco Gonzalez is going to have a good season. I think you say Kikuchi's going to come in and be pretty dang good. I don't quite know about Wade LeBlanc, if he can replicate what he did a year ago. But I think the pieces are in place for the Mariners to surprise at least a little bit. Uh, text from the 425, one, two, or three ply. I'm going two ply. Three can, three's a little much. Three? Yeah. Mm. 
Certainly not one. I mean, <laughs> at that point, are you even using TP? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I think I'm going to go, probably going to go, uh, yeah, I'll probably go two. I'm right there with you. There we go. Uh, text from the 425 says, that question was a tweet you replied to, not a question someone texted. You are a fraud. Well, how do you know? Someone else may have texted in as well, 425. Uh, text from the 206 says, why don't Major League Baseball players shake hands after games? They do after playoff game, or they do after playoff series concludes. Uh, but, yeah, that is a, that is an interesting one. We do it in Little League all the time. Yeah, I mean, you're always taught to shake the other team's hand. Exactly. You give them the 2 4 six, eight, who do you appreciate. That's right. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean... Is it more contentious than than other sports? Because like even a football, you go across the field and say hi to people that you don't know or give your sign of respect. I mean, is it that is it that heated, or do people just like to show off? They're giving high fives to each other, like, "Hey, yeah, we beat you." I think it stems from you got 162 of these games. You want to shake somebody's hand that much? <laughs> I mean, at that point, you're spreading germs. You know, 162 handshake lines. Those guys. They want to get out of there because you got day game following a night game. You don't get much sleep those nights when the game's ending at 11. You got to be to the ballpark by about 7 a.m. Yeah, I think that's why they don't have so many handshake lines in Major League Baseball. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, last one from the 206. Do you think DJ Fluker's coming back to the Seahawks? I would say yes. I think DJ Fluker is coming back. I'd be hard pressed not to see him come back, and and uh, you know he was a big part of this team last year. That's gonna do it for us here on this Monday night. We'll be back with you following the Mariners' re-air of their Cactus League game tomorrow. So tune in for that. For Jay Keeps, I'm Curtis Rogers. That's gonna do it for us. Seattle Sports Tonight, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.